Good morning, good morning. I wonder. I can hear me. Now I can hear me. There we go. <laughs> All right. So today, 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 today is Black Features Month. This month is Black Features Month. Welcome to Afrofuturism in the AM. My name is Shatana Powell. I'm here to introduce Black Features Month to us, give everyone an update on what's been going on. And then a little bit later in our show, we're going to be talking to Dominic Clay, an artist and an educator here in Houston. Um, and I'm really excited for that interview. So to begin our show, um, I just kind of want to do a little recap. Uh, what are we here? What are we doing? What is Afrofuturism in the AM all about? Well, Afrofuturism in the AM is a candid conversation with members of my community about how we can improve our our futures. You know, futures is an industry. If you're interested in like stop trading, oftentimes they call it the futures industry, where they dictate what will happen in the future and then invest money in it. And as much of that, I would like for us to imagine and dictate what we as an African diaspora people want in Houston for our future and then began implementing that. So we dictate our own future. Um, it's something that happens often in white communities. And so um, why not get in on it? The future is only waiting for you to tell it what you want, um, as opposed to being uh, casual, reactionary people. We should be really proactive in that, in that process. So I was gone. I was gone last week, and I... I, I'm not going to apologize. You should never apologize for taking a rest. I needed a small rest as we prepared for um, for what was coming. I had an art show over at the Baisong Art Gallery. Um, it was a really great art show where I had an opportunity to talk to the Houston community about what what we want out of our education. And I'm not talking about education as it as it as it applies to like our institutions, like. University of Houston or HISD. I'm talking about education in terms of the old-fashioned Ella Baker. We just open up a school and we teach each other what we need to know. And I and I spent the past three, four days asking members of my community what it is that we wanted out of our education. And I got some really, really great answers back. This whole entire art show has been a documentary. And um, so you'll get an opportunity to not only watch that documentary, uh, via Texas Southern University and University of Houston's premiere, because we're premiering it through our, our university connection. But we're also going to be, uh, we have a VR experience. VR, for those of us who don't know, is is called virtual reality. We have a virtual reality experience where, um, because it's the pandemic and not everyone could have come to the show even if they wanted to, uh, you'll have an opportunity to just put on some VR goggles and walk through the show. And as you walk through the show, you'll be able to see and hear all the people talk about all the things. And so I think that's the best way to introduce Black Futures Month. Now, I call it Black Futures Month because originally it was called Black History Month. And the problem is, is that we always only got con like our our people our our well-being, our health, our history, our stories only got attention as long as it was related to the past. So in the past, when we had Black History Month, we would oftentimes talk about 
enslavement or we would talk about the civil rights or we would talk about any number of things that weren't especially contemporary and didn't have any contemporary problems like every year every day we are we are learning changing and doing new things and so um like about two years ago um we as a people we we rebranded we made a pivot we rebranded black history month as black futures month and you know i don't think there's anything wrong with that because the future also includes our history if we don't know where we're from we don't know what we've been through how can we plot our future we really can't so just like i said the format of our show is our first show i just give you some statistics give you some facts for us to chew on and then after that we talk to the community because i always want to learn from my community and then after that we kind of wrap it up in a nice little bow and make some conclusions so let's get into it what are some facts when it comes to the black future um first and foremost i want to talk about this idea of technology um i i mentioned virtual reality And virtual reality is just one of the many technologies that are available today that can either aid us in our plight or hurt us in our plight. So another one of these revolutionary technologies I want everyone to know about is facial recognition. Um, Maybe you've seen it online where um, basically your phone can recognize your face. So I wanted to tell you a little bit, a little bit about that. This is something that I was super interested in. Uh, so I thought you would want to know too. If my phone will work, work with me, not against me, work with me. Facial recognition technology is improving by leaps and bounds. Some commercial software can now tell the gender of a person in a photograph. When the person in the photo is a white man, the software is right 99% of the time. But the darker the skin, the more errors arise. Up to nearly 35% of images for darker skinned women, according to a new study, um, shows that the technology isn't working along the lines of race and gender. These different results, these very largely disparate results calculated by MIT Media Lab shows how the biases of the real world can seep into the artificial intelligence of the computer systems that inform our our facial recognition. So um, our technology, even though it's a brave new world, we already know that the internet is skewed towards whiteness. Um, A lot of the problems that we are having in the Trump era was how white supremacy and white supremacists were using the, the internet to recruit and grow are white supremacist movements, right? And in that same line of thought, like white people and white men specifically have been pioneering these new technologies that are now charting our future. And so along with the biases that come with white people and white supremacy, you know, those biases are reflected in the, the things that they create. So one thing that was just so alarming is facial recognition software is used by the police. It's used by many different countries and companies. And if your facial recognition software is very, very skewed towards whiteness, where it's 99% correct when you're a white male, but only, what was that, 35% correct when you're a black female, that means that 
you know, the, the, the rate at which we are targeted will continue through this new future that white people have charted. So when we're talking about the black future, it's, it's being aware of that and learning how we can, how we can combat that. Right. Um, what else is there to be about the black future? Is the black future all about negative things? Um, I don't think so. Um, the future for me is always really bright. And one thing that I was super, super inspired by in researching the black future was conversations by a woman named Tara Reed, who runs this company called Apps Without Code. So Tara Reed is all about making sure that people who have no expertise in coding um, can make an app. So, you know, Think, what is an app? Sometimes maybe we don't know what an app is. I think we all know, but just in case, an app is an application on your phone. So sometimes when you get a new phone, you already have apps preloaded into it. You know, that includes Facebook and Instagram. Those are apps. So Tara Reed is just like black people. We might not have strengths and skills in coding, but we actually really don't need those skills because today the future is bright. You can make an app without having any knowledge of the coding software. It's it's really as simple as going on to her program called Apps Without Code, where it talks you through making an app in plain English, as opposed to having to use HTML or any coding language. And I found that to be revolutionary. Imagine if Black Lives Matter had an app. It would make it so much easier. Imagine if you didn't have to get on Facebook in order to connect with people, you could just make your own Facebook. That is revolutionary, isn't it? And it's actually 100,000% possible. So that's something else that the black future has for us, um, just waiting, just waiting for us to grab onto it, right? But there is some real, real problems when it comes to black people adopting this technology, especially, like I said, because white people and white men specifically have been pioneering this technology for a long time. Recently, a black woman from Google um, went on to talk about the racial inequalities that she experienced as a black woman working in Silicon Valley. Um, Here are some things that I wrote down. The problem of racial inequality, especially the mistreatment of black employees at technology companies, has plagued Silicon Valley for years. Coinbase, the most valuable crypto company startup, has experienced an exodus of black employees in the past two years over what the workers say was racist and discriminatory discriminatory treatment. So that I mean, I know Coinbase isn't the only one. There was another one that said researchers worry that people who are building artificial intelligence systems may be building their own biases into the software. Right. So not only is the actual workplace toxic for black coders in Silicon Valley, but the actual product is going to be very, very biased for black people. Um, What else did I write? It says researchers are looking at how we can solve this paradox. Um, So we sought to make sense of our unique paradox. We have never been more empowered. And yet, in many ways, we have so much more ways to go. We're still disenfranchised. Social media has gained, has granted black folks a platform to tell their stories, but it has also made us subject to new brands of surveillance and unprecedented co-option. So 
How do we combat this? How can we find innovative ways to find ourselves for ourselves without the creature and the erasure of in the deterioration of our of our of ourselves on the internet? These are the conundrums. And um I don't think anyone has to have the answers immediately, but being aware of the the issues on the horizon as it as a risk as it applies to technology and innovation in like this small way, I think is really important when we're talking about the black future. So some things that I'm thinking about, you know, even as I just read all of that is a lot of times, especially in the conferences, like I said, I just got done doing a black speculative arts movement conference here in Houston at the Bison Art Gallery. And a lot of things that we assume are the future um, is, is often a mistake. Like the advancement of technology, we associate very closely with the future. But technology is just a machine, right? And, and the mechanization of our environment is a toxic, uh, is a toxic feature. Uh, just to kind of give you a historical context, um, black people were brought to this country so that we could work. Um, work as enslaved people. And then slowly but surely they, you know, the cotton gin was invented. So, wow, we don't have to have as many black people work on the cotton fields because we made this machine. And then slowly but surely after that first mechanism was created, they created more and more machines until we got to the industrial revolution. And during the industrial revolution, they said, wow, you know, really, we don't have to employ slave labor, um, you know, like we used to during the colonial days. We don't need as much labor. So you saw the exodus of enslaved labor and the entrance of like a capitalist society during the, the Industrial Revolution, which capitalism is just slavery packaged in a different way. You know, if, you, if you're following the, the, the logic and the understandings. Um, there's this book called, by Eric Williams, there's this book called Capitalism is Slavery, where he walks you through that. But then, after the Industrial Revolution, where we had all these workers, white and black and Asian, Hispanic of all races, working in capitalism, we got to a point where we created enough wealth to where we entered into what they call the digital age. And that's where we are today. So today... In all reality, and we can definitely see this during COVID, there's not a need for that many workers. How many times have you walked into a store and there's like two people working, but like five machines? Like this is seen in Walmart or Target, you know, where they have like all these self-checkout machines and only like two people actually working the floor. That's an example of the digital age. Our machines have gotten to the point to where they are very, very efficient at doing the work. And so what does that mean for us? They say, well, it looks like we have no more need for humans. The humans are now a liability. So let's have less humans and more machines. And this this slow and steady mechanization of our reality is very detrimental to us as humans, as people, right? And it's even worse, especially in a racialized world, because black life was never really valued to begin with. So now that they have machines to do the work, that black life has even less, less value in the eyes of white supremacy and capitalism. Oh my God, that sounds like a lot. But, you know, quite frankly, I really never wanted to be valued in the eyes of capitalism to begin with. 
Um, you know, if I had to imagine a world, I would have imagined a world where I would have never been taken from my homeland to begin with. So for me, and I know I have a very specialized point of view, I don't feel like this is especially a bad thing. It's, it's an opportunity for innovation. It's an opportunity for innovation. So then the question is, how can we innovate using the tools that we have today to build the future that we want? Um, in the previous shows, we were talking a lot about what is the future we want? What is, what is, what did our, what is our radical imagination bringing us to as far as conclusions, of, as far as like what are we creating? And some of the answers I've gotten are I, I dream of a world where I don't have to work, you know, where I can wake up and not feel pressed, you know, where I don't have to feel stressed, where I can wake up and just be. Now, that's a radical imagination. And, you know, considering all the things that we know about the world, that's, a, that's something that's completely grabbable. Like, we can grasp onto that um, if, we just, if we just design that, you know? Imagine designing an app that becomes so valuable for our community that we don't have to work. It happened for Facebook. It happened for Google. Why not us? And and then I can already hear the devil's advocate on my shoulder. There's already something like that. You just named it. It's Facebook and Google and Instagram. There's no space for us. And and you know when you start talking like that, you're you're closing yourself off to possibilities. We're talking about the future here. There's something else that I want to bring to everyone else's attention, and it's this 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 video I saw on YouTube called "The Next Three Billion Users." So. Us here in Houston, we're in the West, we're in the United States, you know, the West is comprised of Western nations, that includes Britain and Europe, you know, we're in a very small minority of people who have been, who have been on the internet, um, where, you know, the, the world isn't really on the internet yet, there, the internet is growing, and more and more people are getting onto the internet, but... For for a large, by and large, there are over 3 billion people who will be getting onto the internet in the next 20 to 30 years. And when you, when you ask yourself, who are these 3 billion people? Gosh, that's a lot of people. Who are these people who are going to be getting onto the internet in the next 20 to 30 years? Well, these people are all from India and Africa. And if you know a little bit about yourself, you have been taken from Africa, you know? These are all black and brown people. These are our, our kin, our kin. You know, these are people of our diaspora, and they are the ones who are going to be entering into this internet space. And when they enter into this internet space, what are they looking for? Well, that's a good question. When you enter into the internet as a black person, what are you looking for? You're looking for things that interest you. What interests you? Usually things that interest black people or other black people. You know, black Twitter. You get on Twitter, you're looking for other black people so you can, you know, clap back at white supremacy or clap back at things that you feel like you need to talk about. That's how black Twitter became a thing. When you get on the internet, on Facebook, what are you looking for? You're looking to see what other people in your community are doing. 
So when these next 3 billion people get onto the internet, what do you think they're going to be looking for? They're going to be looking for us. So I just wanted to say that to let you know that there is nothing, there is nothing but opportunities, right? We have the opportunity to grow something that our diaspora can use to build. And that is something I want you to think about as we go to our break, right? What is it that you want to build? Because I guarantee you we have the resources to do it. And there is an audience. There is a burgeoning audience for it. And they are getting larger and like our audience is getting larger and larger and larger every day. I know that technically when we ever think, when we think about ourselves in the West, we always think we're a minority, but you forget that black people make up a large share of the human, of the human race, of the human population. Africa is so large that it's incomprehensible. It's so large that when map makers make maps, they actually shrink the size of Africa to trick your brain into thinking that Africa is smaller than it is. Africa can fit all of the United States, all of Canada, all of all of South America in it, and even have a little bit more room to grow. The numbers of people who live in Africa is astronomical. So when you say to yourself, you know, Google has it, that's a lie. Because the only thing Google got is your information. And they're using that information to target you. And so... We should always be asking ourselves, how can we make, make our lives better? How can we protect ourselves? And that definitely goes towards thinking about what you want to create for the internet so that you can welcome your brothers and sisters of the diaspora when they, when they walk onto the internet for the first time. So I want you to think about that as I turn on some music. Let's see if I can get this right.
All right, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back. Um, so our guest is here, and we're about to have him on to talk about um, the black future and all the things that we've been working on in terms of art and education. So I did want to say I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad that we're at this point to where we're able to talk about the black future. It's the black future month, guys. Um, how many of us have ever really imagined what our future is? I know a lot of times we think about what we don't want for the future, but thinking about what we do want for the future is really, really important. So as we, as we are waiting, I do want to mention that this is an ad spot. If you feel like your product, your business belongs here, then you do. Um, this is an awesome show, wonderful show on All Real Radio located out of the historic Third Ward uh, here in Houston, Texas. If you're looking for an opportunity to let our listeners know about you and your product and your business, please, please, please reach out to me. We have very competitive prices uh, where we can offer you multiple packages and different deals. Um, a lot of times, a lot of black businesses are often saying, I really wish people knew about me. I really wish that I could get more people involved and excited about what we're doing here, what I'm doing here, about all the changes that we're making. So please, please, please consider Afrofuturism in the AM as a place to advertise your business. Um, beyond just advertising your business, um, you also get an opportunity to talk to me about how your business is changing the world. We live in a world of like social change, right? Businesses aren't here just for capitalistic gains. They're here for us to build on our own social change movements. So again, if you are a movement, uh, not a movement, if you are a business who's interested in engaging with an audience who's very happy and very interested in innovation and social change, then this is the ad spot for you. Now, we were just talking about the black future. We we're talking about all the things that happens when you begin to understand that technology is controlled by white people. A lot of the largest technology companies is dominated by white men. And in turn, a lot of the machine learning and a lot of the machines that they create do disproportionately target black and brown people. Um, if it's not through the racial, the racial face, <laughs> that's funny, the face recognition technology being racially skewed or through the constant, um, you know, monitoring of black voices on Facebook and Instagram um, there's other things that we have to think about when it comes to creating our future. Now, here's something. Here's something super, super juicy. Um, I want us to rethink what we what we know science and technology is, right? Science, technology, all the things that I just talked about, all that VR stuff, um, actually isn't isn't all there is to science and technology. Here's a little tidbit, a little sneak peek into something I've been working on. Um, Nguji Othiongo, who is a South African philosopher, he always, during his 1994 um, speeches, you know, because he, he is an older philosopher, he's been working for a long time, um, he started theorizing about the African Renaissance, imagining what an African Renaissance looks like. And he asked the question, 
what was the reason for the decapitation of the South African King Hinsa? Now, for all of us who don't know what this history is, during colonial times in South Africa, colonizers came and um, took the South African king captive. They kidnapped him. And then upon kidnapping him, they later murdered him. But murdering him wasn't enough. After they murdered him, they stripped all of his clothes, all of his jewels off of his body. But if that wasn't enough, beyond that, they then began to decapitate him and remove his limbs from his body. So in Gujiwatiango, in, in understanding and theorizing what the black future looks like and what the African Renaissance looks like, he asked himself, what was the reason for the decapitation of South African King Hinsa? And then he begins talking about our jewels, the jewels of our traditional culture in terms of the African Renaissance, right? He said that um, many people understand that the jewels of our culture are our sciences. Um, in Ethiopia, they came up with something called fractals. And in later years, many, many, many years after the ancient Ethiopian fractal patterns that you would see in Coptic crosses was, you know, invented, scientists would then take this fractal pattern and, and put it into computers. And they found that this is the best way to generate um, you know, natural looking graphics. So you have Ethiopia to thank for those super, super realistic graphics that you enjoy in your video games, right? Beyond that, a lot of times our, our people will use mathematics and, in order to create our art. Whenever we're thinking about um, patterns and quilts, there's a lot of mathematics, applied mathematics that go into making patterns. One example is the pinwheel symbol in quilts, which represents time. It's a tra traditional symbol that represents time. And so that's just another example. So everyone, our guest, our guest is here. Um, and I wanted to talk to him a little bit about his work and how his art um, kind of reflects, uh, reflects what we're talking about, reflects the black future, reflects how we can utilize art in, in such a way that it can increase human development without causing poverty and oppression. Um, so guys, let's give, let's get a, get a second for everyone to get set up. Um, I'm going to play a song. I'm going to play a song. May there be peace and love and perfection throughout all creation. Oh God, may there be peace and love and perfection throughout all creation. Oh God, may there be peace and love and perfection throughout all creation. Oh God.
right, guys, we are back. Welcome back. So we have Dominic here. Dominic, you want to give the audience a hello? Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. Good morning. So Dominic is a dear, amazing, wonderful friend um, who is also a dope artist, an awesome curator, an internationally recognized creator. And I thought that this is an excellent learning opportunity for our community um, to just kind of understand what is it like to be a creator and to imagine in in this 2021, 2020 COVID existence? So, Dominic, can you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing these past year? Uh, this past year, you know, uh, I've been trying to uh, find myself. I, I think everybody has been uh, trying to internalize this COVID thing and try to find different things out about themselves. Um, at the end of um, 2019, I decided to kind of do a self-deep dive and kind of uh, self-evaluate myself and uh, and come to find out what I love about myself. Uh, you know, so I, uh, at the time, as an artist, you know, I was working and painting and paint mediums and trying to... Uh, just find myself within that medium and um somebody asked me uh your last name is clay do you ever work in clay do you do i was like what don't i ever work in the clay <laughs> so so um i decided to go back to my roots you know i was uh, uh trained by john biggest product uh his name was curtis watson and in college uh me and uh his other a very prestigious student, Blake Bean. Uh, we were very prominent and and uh, ceramics uh, when both of us was at a small historically black uh, university in East Texas called Texas College. Um, a lot of people kind of overlook us just because we're so small when it comes to the HBU uh, HBCU thing, but uh, we we small and strong mm-hmm. and. Uh, at the time, uh, he really kind of taught us how the ins and outs of ceramics. And I decided to go back into that uh, in 2020. Um, and when the COVID thing happened, it gave me a lot of time to kind of deep dive into clay and work with it and uh, kind of find a, a statement within a work. Um, and as I started playing with it, everything came back naturally. And I started doing these busts inspired by um, the African past and the African present and the African future. So when you look at my works, it's this it's this mash of uh, time periods and uh, notations and uh, motifs that uh, a lot of people really love to see. Yeah, um, I know. With a hundred percent certainty, everyone who saw your Ife was a woman and the homie and the tribute to phone to the cultural phone to cultural critic and artist phony, everyone was just oh my god, we we were just like I can't believe such beauty exists and that we have it and 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 that we didn't have to like pay a million dollars for it. Everyone was just blown away and it and. For one thing, it reminded everyone who came into the to the gallery that we have the skills within ourselves to create 
and to create something beautiful that reflects us and that teaches us too mm -hmm. and and that we don't have to go to someone else to learn um and, and i think that's the beauty of it you know especially when you're creating art from an intimate place and from a, in a, in a genuine place you're able to make the information that you know well felt because today, especially with we're in the information technology age, we get information thrown at us every mm -hmm. day, right? I'm sure a lot of people have heard of Ife. Mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of African gods and Orishas and everything like that. But it wasn't real mm -hmm. until they came and they saw the sculpture and they said, oh, my God. Mm -hmm. And and it was, and it the thing that I was blown away with is how many like precious materials that were in the actual sculpture itself. Mm -hmm. Like when you look at it, you saw copper, you saw diamonds, you saw like gold pieces. And, and, and that was also something that I felt really amazing. Mm -hmm. So you recently um, have begun teaching, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. So like, can you give us a little insight on how you use art to inspire your kids? You know, um, during our time and you know like you said this information age there's a lot of misinformation that is out there you know uh just being clear about where i teach because i want to represent uh i teach at uh Cy lakes high school um i um when I, it's and it's new to me and i'm you know i've been teaching all of this time you know i, I taught at uh the houston museum of african-american culture but i just wasn't called the teacher you know so um it, it came very natural, but um, when it comes to art and uh, and where we are, I try to use them uh, art to unite rather than uh, separate, and that's you know very uh, stereotypical you know thing to say. But you know when we use our art is meant to heal, and during the time of COVID, these kids are going through things at home. Okay, they they are. Uh, hurt they don't know how to handle it they're already a teenagers in their adolescent years and where they already have enough time uh you know enough problems just growing up you know and to add on them not being able to go nowhere them not being able to socialize you have some of the students who d their parents not letting them go anywhere mm -hmm. you know they're sheltering them holding them close to them and i understand i understand and that's not me trying to uh, pigeonhole the parents or anything like that but all I'm saying is that uh, they are they need art they need um, a outlet to kind of use as a um, relief mechanism to uh, let go of some of this anxiety that they have uh, about COVID about their grades about them a lot of them are graduating high school and you know it's it's just so much, you know, I had a niece back in East Texas. Her name is Ja'Kayla. Hey, Ja'Kayla. Hey. Um, she actually didn't know if she was going to have a graduation, mm -hmm. you know, and I couldn't imagine being a senior, you know, going through, you know how it is. When you become a senior, you're, you're trying to get out of there. But it seemed like they, uh, she didn't think that all of those years would pay off with her walking across that stage mm -hmm. and she didn't know how important it was to her, you know, and 
you can tell that it kind of impacted her brothers and sisters for them to get more serious about their schooling because after you know before covid she kind of took it for granted she was like I'm, I'm trying to get out of here blah 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 but once covid hit she was like oh my god you know i i can't believe that you know i'm finally leaving like this mm-hmm. and um it's it's just i can imagine how i feel to be in school right now you know as as a student you know so i try to use art to you know all of my um assignments and uh presentations are all about self-care and healing you know i try to bring a lot of uh life coaching forward and try to uh find a way for them to uh kind of have a uh, some type of sponge to absorb their frustrations mm-hmm. and uh that's really what i've been trying to do this year that's that's if if there was a mission statement for for me teaching this year that's it to spread love through art i like that i i believe that there's no movement that if you can have you cannot have a movement you cannot teach if you don't center love because if you're if you're doing it from any other standpoint you're, you, you know, what are you really doing? Mm-hmm. You know, the whole thing about our children is our children oftentimes are overlooked or are put in, in certain tracks that don't allow them to grow. Mm-hmm. And and, you know, the statistics are if you have one black male teacher that can dramatically change the way in which you understand and approach your education. And so. I just want to say thank you, first of all, for doing that. Because it is true. You have always been a teacher. I remember the first time I met you, and there was an exhibition about, um, you know, college football. And, like, you <laughs> had, like, the the old cheerleading outfits. Yeah, yeah. And I remember, like, being in that crowd and just listening to you talk about, like, the importance and the significance of football in our culture and just having, like, the kids just be like, whoa. And then you're like, you see this outfit? This outfit is super small. You know, because we used to be small. <laughs> <you know? laughs> and, and, you know, just having those connections. Because I think another thing that oftentimes doesn't happen is, like, our younger generation doesn't always get to hear the perspectives of our older generation. And we're definitely ushering. We're in a whole new age. Just like mm-hmm. you said. Like, the kids during this time, they don't get to have that walk across the stage. Yeah. They don't get to take school for granted. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they can't be too cool for school. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Mm-hmm. So what does that do to someone's sense of self? Yeah. You know, uh, you know, I, you have a lot of kids who, you know, who are giving up and, uh, and I, I think that's, um, unfortunate. And no, I don't, I don't have, I, I don't take that. Like you come in my room and you have this give up mentality. If you want it or not, I'm picking you up. <laughs> you know, you probably be like, get off of me, but I'm, I'm going to pick you up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that positivity is something that I think that is going to, uh, kind of propel me forward in this education thing. And I'm definitely, uh, thankful to, um, you know, even my mentor, Mr. Rashid Lane, you know, to um, kind of teach me the ropes in this art thing. And, you know, Lee Carrier been, you know, she's been trying to get me into teaching for a long time. And Dominique, you'll be such a great teacher. You'll be such a great teacher. You know, so, uh, you know, but with 
my students that encouragement they need it they need to know how smart they are they need to know how beautiful of a person they are they need to know that their future is going to be bright they need they need a they need a forward notion of who they will be because right now the world is so dark and grim and you know uh you don't know what's false you don't know what's true i i I can imagine coming up in this day and age Mm -hmm. and um i I say that a lot about you know um just going back to my own childhood you know um i was i was born in 1985 you know in the middle of the crack epidemic but you know there was a a lot of things that was going on but you know my I didn't have my mother and my father in the household and I always say you know for people who you know have huge problems with you know their father not being there their mother not being there I wasn't raised in the 70s you know what I'm saying I I don't could I think I have survived in the 60s during, you know, the civil rights movement and during the 70s through all what happened during the 70s? I, I don't I don't know, but I have empathy and I had to grow and I had to, you know, kind of come to a uh, a understanding with myself to know that, hey, you know, their experiences is their experiences and we have to know how to understand one another to move forward and uh i understand these these young people and their frustration and you know the reason why they're giving up but it's our responsibility to bring them up it's our responsibility to kind of push them forward and allow them not to give up to assure them that tomorrow will be a better day like ted ellis says mm-hmm. you know and it's it's just heartbreaking at the same time but also i'm up for the job i'm up for i'm up for encouragement you know me shatana i I will encourage you into your nosebleed (laughs) so you know but uh i try to uh uh i try to put that into the children that's something i i instill and i instill them to do with one another to have them to push one another for because like i tell them like i'm their mama they daddy i ain't gonna be here all the time for y'all y'all need to be encouraging one another if you see somebody who is skipping class and you see somebody not doing their work you know you need to be like man come on man let's go ahead and go to class Mm -hmm. let's let's go ahead and do this together because at the end of the day you know if you ain't gonna be helping them now you're gonna be helping them Mm -hmm. later you understand when they're having a hard time as an adult, you're gonna be helping them if you if they're your friend. Yeah. Okay. And so um, that's that's just what I try to instill there. You know, I, I I'm now 35 years old. You know, I feel like an old man sometimes. And you know, just seeing you know the separation of culture, even from you know, I had to like for instance, I had a um, a daily participation uh assignment for my class uh which was an exit ticket and you know i i put a picture of uh tupac i say name this artist and uh n- name a song by them none of them know who tupac was i'm yeah. like but that that super that separation can be astounding but it's also a teaching opportunity you know i told them how you know uh they was like who would name their son tupac is that his real name and i was like yes 
-hmm. And with my class being uh, mostly Latin descent, you know, I got an opportunity. It was a teaching moment. I mm -hmm. got to teach them that Tupac was a revolutionary in Peru. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, you know, so I made them look up who Tupac the Peruvian revolutionary was. <laughs> so, you know, like those those type of things, um, we have to be up for the job. We have to be up to teach them not just about, you know, academic stuff, but about the rural and the culture and the culture that one day they'll be a part of and they'll be participating with. Right. Uh, the phrase that comes to mind is, if not you, then who? And, um, you know, you mentioned your mentor and this past couple of weeks has been really, I guess, impact. Like it's, it's really hit me differently as well. Cause like every February I'm doing similar things, you know, with the conference. And the thing that I realized is that my mentors are no longer here. And, and it really is like, it is you who knows. And, in, and therefore it is you who must, cause if you don't, then you know, our kids are not learning. Like, if not you, then who? Like, um, and and I and I think that is something that I in the past I would have just been like, no, like you know, I've always been the youngest. You know, you were born in eighty five. I was born in eighty nine, and so I was used to standing on giants. You know, people from the sixties and the seventies who did go through all those different, you know, ter terrifying, uh, like, existences, like, living during the crack epidemic, living during, like, the height of uh, civil rights, like, organizing during mm -hmm. that time period. And and when I came into their classroom, a little, kind of a little sad, I was a little depressed child, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, they, they encouraged me, and, and they always supported me, and... And I'm, a, I'm saddened, I will say that I'm saddened that they aren't there anymore, but I am glad that they have, they have a chance to rest. I think that's something mm -hmm. like we never get, we never get to rest. And so it's like when, when you're, when your mentors pass on into another realm, you have to thank them for their service and recognize that they, it's now time for you to, to take on that mantle. And, um, yeah, I, I know that they're sad. Um, like like I was when I was, I know that the kids are sad, but I and I feel like there's nothing but but opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, I opened up the show talking about VR and about apps without code. Um, this woman named Tara Reed is talking about how you know you don't have to know how to program a computer anymore. You can literally make your own app. And then we also talked about the next three billion users because you know Google put out this 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 uh, YouTube video about. The next three billion people coming onto the internet are black people mm -hmm. from Africa mm -hmm. and brown people from India, and so like there's never there's never a time for us to say oh I give up, because there's always something new around the mm -hmm. corner, and our kids our kids have the imagination they can imagine things that we quite frankly I don't know like we we're not we're not that young anymore and so. They can adapt things faster. They can imagine things faster. Mm -hmm. and, and by you working to encourage them, it gives me nothing but like like bright sunshine rays just mm -hmm. reaching across, you know? Because yeah. I know that we have good things coming. Yeah. So I want to say thank you. 
And I wanted to close out our conversation by asking if you had any anything else you wanted to say, anyone you wanted to shout out before we go. Uh, uh, you know, uh, well, I want to say this, you know, uh, one day, you know, a long time ago, uh, a person cut a stone and put that stone, start stacking that stone and build the house. And then he said, hey, I don't have stone, so I'm going to take this clay and I'm going to see if I can put it out in the sun and see how strong it can get. And I'm going to build a house with that. And so I took, you know, took that clay and I was like, I wonder if I build a big kiln and see, can I fire it to see what I can get? So I got a product. I got ceramic fired clay now. I got bricks to build my house. And so I took that same kiln and I was like, well, I wonder, can I melt down this ore and see, can I make copper? Okay, I made copper and I made iron. I made iron, I made steel. Okay, I took all of those precious metals and I made a filament to make technology. Everything is culture. What are you going to participate with? Mm. What are you going to contribute to the culture? Mm. So, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, I, I watched, um, I think the film is uh, called uh, Malcolm and Myra. Uh, with John David Washington and uh, Zaniah, uh, and I had a friend. It was like I don't, I don't like the movie too much, but I was like, "You're an actor. Go out and make it. <laughs> Go out and make your own film. Mm-hmm. Go participate in the culture, and especially, you know. And I know that's uh, a very catchy thing uh, because of Robert Hodge and this collective for culture right now. Yeah. But you know. Really, really collect your own talent for the culture. Go forward and you participate. You participate as much as you can to build this culture and for us to be what we should be and live up to all of our potential. Amen. I think I think that deserves a like we're going to we're going to leave the people with that. Okay. Thank you for coming. <laughs> my my you. pleasure. My pleasure. My pleasure. All right. All right. So, guys, we're about to close out and enjoy these few songs, and then I'll come back and say goodbye. everyone thank you for listening today um today is a bit of an abbreviated show but um i do appreciate everything every time that you come and listen um i look forward to speaking to you next saturday and um until then be well and um keep 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 building you know like dominic said what are you contributing what are you doing to add to our our culture so that when we leave those who are coming behind us has something tangible to build upon tangible to build upon so guys thank you for everything and have an amazing amazing weekend may there be peace and love and perfection throughout all creation oh god